0: Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number six. Six. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we're very excited today because we're going to be interviewing our very, very first guest on our podcast.
0: Yes, she's a badass. At only the age of 26, she has achieved so many incredible things and it's just an inspiration for other women that are already in the industry or want to be part of it. Yeah, so without too much ado, her name is
1: Luisa Panuccio
0: and she is a qualified civil and architectural engineer who obtained her degree at the University of Adelaide. Louisa is a project manager for major infrastructure projects. She's been a part of a lot of co-curricular activities
1: as well where she's been an ambassador for Engineers Australia, Engineers Without Borders here in Australia as well, Google, the Children's University of Australia
0: and the University of South Australia as well. Yeah, Luisa is passionate about diversity in STEM and she's definitely working towards changing the face of STEM by becoming a role model for young girls to pursue their career in this field. Luisa was also a contestant of Miss Universe Australia uh, representing South Australia and she's definitely broken the stereotype of what a a atypical engineer looks like
1: yeah and again all this only at the age of 26 uh, she's received a lot of uh, incredible awards and recognition within the industry where she's uh, received the national association of women in construction graduate
0: of the year award in addition also to the james McCoy rising star award yeah we we literally take our heart off to you luisa and we couldn't be more excited to have the pleasure to interview you
1: So please introduce yourself, Louisa, and we'd like to know a little bit about your journey and what influenced you in becoming an engineer.
0: Thank you for
2: having me. My name is Louisa Maria Panuccio. I just turned 26. My inspiration, I guess, to get into STEM started when I was really young. So uh, my grandfather, or I called him Nonno in Italian, He was really passionate about education and unfortunately he didn't get the opportunity to stay in school. He had to leave school quite early when he was in Italy to help his family. And then they moved to Australia and he had to work. And so as a result, he really liked reading and he bought himself like every encyclopedia you can think of. And he's the only person I know that ever owned encyclopedias other than a library. And when we were younger, so there's six grandchildren on my mum's side And the three oldest, my sister, myself, and my cousin, we would spend a lot of time with him. And we would all read these encyclopedias with him. And he had a lot of science encyclopedias. So we would read them with him. And then he would create like fun games and ask us questions. And when he passed away, um, It was actually quite cool because we were going through a lot of his stuff and we found the scorecards. And it was quite interesting because so my sister, myself and my cousin all became engineers and my sister is without a doubt the smartest and she spent the most amount of time with him and she always got the highest scores. So I feel like he is the reason why I got so excited about STEM from such a young age. I also never had anyone tell me that I couldn't. Which I think is a really important thing that you know, he was a male role model for me, and he was so encouraging about me and my sister in particular being educated and well read. And I never, I was never told, no, you're a woman and you belong in the kitchen, so to speak, because that is quite a prominent theme in my culture. So I'm Italian, and that is something that is really prominent there. But my nonno wasn't like that. He was very much like, nope you deserve an education, I want you to have the education that I didn't have and I think if he hadn't have been a part of my life, I wouldn't be where I am today.
1: Oh my gosh, that is absolutely incredible to have someone that forward thinking for his generation, like involved in your life and um, we were talking about this louder right, in our first episode where we were talking about needing more men, uh, bringing up little girls with less stereotypical values, so to see that your grandfather had that you know, in his generation, is so amazing because it just goes to show, like, that the uh, seeds to raise the next generation of engineers starts very young.
0: Yes, I can relate. My dad played a big role in choosing engineering as a career. Um, I just wanted to ask you regarding your background. You mentioned that you have Italian heritage. Uh, where in Italy are you from?
2: Well, my dad was born in Calabria. Um, So he was born in Sinopoli. And my mum was born in Australia, but her parents, my nonno and my nonna, um, they're from Naples, from Benevento, and then from Tufara, getting really specific.
1: That's so cool. Like what an amazing rich like culture they bring. Uh, It must've been amazing growing up around that. Uh, But just want to ask you, like you were born in South Australia, how did you end up moving to Melbourne eventually?
2: I actually moved to Melbourne for my partner, who's also an engineer. Uh, so we met at the beginning of the pandemic over LinkedIn. And then we did nine months, cause he was in Melbourne, originally from the UK, but here on like a sponsored work visa. I was in SA, met at the beginning of the pandemic. All of Australia was in lockdown. We sort of thought, oh, we'll come out soon and we'll get to meet in person. And my sister was already living here. So I thought I can go to Melbourne, no issues. It turns out it was actually nine months of FaceTime before we got to meet in real life for the first time. Uh, So that's my LinkedIn love story. I decided it was time to move just in case we went into another lockdown and we did. So I think I made the right decision.
1: (laughs) So one thing we really wanted to ask you about, like obviously you've been working in the engineering industry for a while, um, but when you were at university, we remember you were talking in an interview and you'd said that it was pretty surprising that when you joined, there was like about 300 guys and only like 30 girls in the classroom. Do you want to tell us a little bit about
2: that? Yeah, so that was like my first ever maths class in this massive lecture theatre. And I remember walking in and there was like, yeah, 300 guys and there was this is across all of engineering so not just civil and architectural Uh, everybody had to do this maths course so there's 300 guys and there's about 30 girls in the room and I I left and my dad picked me up that day and he's like old school Italian and I remember saying to him on the the drive on the way home he was I told him the numbers and he was like oh do you want to change degrees that was like his first response and I was like, no, I want to change the numbers. I don't want to change degrees. Um, and so it was very intimidating. I also went to an all-girls high school. So coming from an all-girls high school where I would say I felt really confident to always, like, ask questions and sort of be loud in the class to going to, like, out of your comfort zone and then, like, thinking why are you there and why is there, Why are there no other females there? Like, that was something I really couldn't comprehend And I remember speaking to people in the course and they would just be like to me, girls just don't like maths and science. And I was like, I don't really think that's why. Like, I think it's like, if girls don't like maths and science, why don't they like maths and science? Like you can't just say that and that be the reason why there's such a gender gap in STEM. And I think the more that I've learned, I think from a really young age, we're like conditioned that it's not for us. And then at the same time, we see in movies and TV shows, characters who sort of females in those fields are like one in a million, um, socially awkward, unpopular, uncool. And, you know, you think about yourself as like a year nine student when you're really impressionable and you don't want anyone to pick on you for something, especially like say at an all girls school. I remember being called a nerd. Like I used to wear glasses And I really liked maths and science. And I remember being called a nerd. I remember people use that to pick on me. And it was kind of like, I'm going to put you down because you try hard at school. And it puts a lot of girls off. Like when I got to year 12, there was uh, two of us in physics and there was three of us in specialist maths. At the time in South Australia, you needed specialist maths and physics to get into engineering. So like (laughs) we had a hundred and... 20 or 130 people in my year level, only like two of us qualified to get into engineering and we both became engineers, but that sort of shows you like, it starts a lot younger than I think what people think.
1: Yeah, 100%. I was talking to a colleague at work and she has a child who's in like grade two um, and she was talking about how he has like a STEM class, which I think is super cool because um, I never had anything like that growing up. Um, But uh, she was mentioning that there's like only two girls in the whole class and the rest of them are all boys so um, that's pretty like interesting to see that the numbers um, are the numbers are that different even at such a young age Uh, which starts from like the toys we get uh, when we're little so boys get Lego sets which are very formative in um, allowing you to visualize things in 3d and construction and spatial awareness whereas as girls like we're all familiar we get like Barbie dolls and hair straighteners and makeup and teddy bears so um, it's just very um, formative I suppose in relations and you know people oriented stuff, not exactly the same thing, so I think it's just interesting how the programming starts at such a young age.
0: Luisa, we were wondering if you always wanted to study engineering or if you have other options when you were um, in school.
2: No, so it was medicine for a while, and again, I think it relates to my culture because my nonna was always like, "I want a doctor, I just want a doctor in my family um, and then my sister was two years above me and she picked engineering and I think a big part of the reason why she picked engineering is that we had the same physics teacher in high school she was really good her daughter was an engineer and so she would like talk about engineering um and so when I was in year 12 I did the UMAT which is the test in South Australia that you need to do it might be Australia wide but I know it's South Australia definitely to get into medicine and I got like 33 and I was like wow this is not for Louisa. <laughs> it is, it is not for me. Um, but I was really lucky because I had picked in year 12, they're different names now, but at the time I had picked specialist maths, maths studies, physics, and chemistry. And so essentially I had the core subjects to get into any STEM degree. Like I didn't have biology, but I felt like I could have picked it up if I needed to. Um And so I had heaps of options and I remember looking through the course books and thinking, well, I could go into any degree like I have the prerequisites for any degree. And then my sister was doing engineering. And so I thought I might try engineering. I looked in the book and there was civil and architectural engineering, which I thought was a bit interesting. I'd never heard of it before. And I thought it would be the perfect fit for me because I really liked maths and science. But at the same time, I really liked being creative and drawing And so it was something that combined both worlds for me. So you
1: did civil and architecture, that's so cool, because like you mentioned, um, there's a lot of creativity involved in that space. And I know like when we were at uni, uh, there was always a discussion of how like engineers and architects think in two very different uh, spaces of mind. So I was wondering, since you've done a combination of both, um, have you found that you've used the learnings from both degrees or have you like predominantly in your career just ended up using like the engineering side of things?
2: So up until last year, I would say I was predominantly engineering. Like there was a few interesting projects along the way where there was structures. And I would say I got to put a little bit of an architect's hat on. Um, And then last year I took over this project, which is the relocation of a heritage listed church. Uh, Really interesting project, really difficult project. A lot of moving parts. The church was built in 1878, I think. Um, you know, asbestos, lead, everything you can think of as an issue that needs to be sorted. And we have a heritage architect working on that. So it's been really interesting for me personally to be able to see their part of it and their designs and also a lot of the things that I've seen I remember from what I studied and, you know, that side is really cool. But at the same time, I would say the best thing that architecture, studying architecture ever gave me is it taught me how to draw so well. Being able to read drawings is such an important skill set as well in engineering. And I would say a lot of people come out of uni and they can't read drawings because it's not part of the normal core structure. Whereas in architecture, we were doing our own drawings on CAD and Rever and Rhino, any program, you name it. So we knew how to like me and my friends all knew how to read drawings as soon as before we even graduated.
0: Yeah, I can relate to that. When I went to TAFE, I learned AutoCAD and how to use other like 3D modeling software. It's definitely a good skill set to have in the workforce. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your experience as a student at university?
2: Look, I was really lucky. I made a really good group of friends. It was nice to go through uni with other people as well. Like I don't think I would have got through it without that group of friends. we all failed a few subjects and that was really hard because like I've got a sister who's two years older than me. She's a genius. Like I said, she had the highest scorecard. So she's a genius. And she was getting like incredible grades. And when I was in high school, I was doing really, really well from a grades perspective. And then uni was a whole nother kettle of fish for me. The hardcore maths and like physics, I was like, what is going on here? I just don't know if my brain could get to that level of thought. And so I did fail a subject in first year and then a subject in second year. And I remember thinking at the time, my life is over. No one's going to hire me. Like my transcript looks horrible. Who's going to want an engineer who failed? But it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, Second time I did the courses, it really made me realize that they weren't actually that hard. I just needed to approach them in a different way. And I sort of learned my learning style. And I think my learning style was different to other people's learning styles. And I think that's fine. But I just didn't realize that at the time. And then um, the other thing that happened is it sort of taught me that it's okay not to always win or succeed. I think that I am someone who puts a lot of pressure on myself. And I've sort of always been like that. Failing those two subjects was really good for me to be like, you know what? You don't always have to be number one. Everybody's journey is different. As long as you get to the end, that's all that matters. And yeah, like after I graduated, I used to have like nightmares that I hadn't graduated because of those fails. Crazy, like I always would wake up and be like, oh, like I haven't got enough units to finish the degree. They're gonna take my degree back. Um, and I was like, no, I don't wanna go back. <laughs> Uh, But like socially, I would have loved to go on back. But like theoretical physics and stuff, no thanks.
1: Oh, my God. So that uh, feeling stuck with you for quite a while. So when did that eventually end up leaving? Was it when you started working in the industry?
2: I think it started to leave as I got more confident in myself and my ability. So even when I got my first job in industry, I wouldn't say I was that confident because I remember thinking on site, like, I don't know. How to do any of this stuff and i'm hearing all these names and all these acronyms and i just i've never learned this before like what's going on and then i slowly started to realize that no one really knows what's going on and a lot of it is sort of just try your best and hope that you succeed and like google is a great device in terms of if you don't if you hear something on site and you don't know what it means but at the same time going back to like the the toys we grew up with i remember one of the first things on site was we were talking about plant. So I was on a construction site and it was like a outdoor plaza thing that was being designed um, in the Northern suburbs of Adelaide. And they were talking about plant and they were saying to me that I needed to organize plant, like plant hire. And they said to me like, we need a skid steer. And I was like, what's a skid steer? And then they'd be like, we need a backhoe. And I'd be like, what's a backhoe? Like I didn't grow up playing with trucks. I grew up playing with Barbie dolls. So I had this picture book I made myself a picture book of all these different plant types of all these different names. And it was funny because when I met one of my best friends who's also an engineer, I met her while working. She said something one day and I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, my picture book. I was like, what picture book? And she was like, my plant picture book. And we both had done the same thing in our first role on site because we both, I remember feeling like, how do I not know what these things are? But it's because like, i was I was never brought up to think that I would be in construction. That was always like a a a boy's job um like being on site, and that's why I was like one of two girls, and I've been on sites where I've been the only girl and so it's not uncommon to think that not 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 that girls don't belong, but they're just it's not the norm to have girls on those sites, so it's not the norm for little girls to be playing with trucks and know what a skid steer is.
0: Very resourceful, actually. I would say that that just goes to show how interested you were in doing the best you could at your role. Um, So when did you join the industry? When did you join the workforce?
2: So I was really lucky. Um, Between third year and fourth year, I was doing an unpaid unpaid placement uh, with an engineering company. And I remember I was just sitting there nine to five unpaid doing like residential footing design. And like, it was a good time, don't get me wrong. But by like week two, I was like, wow, this is a lot of work for no pay. And a lot of engineering placements are like that. And I've got a bone to pick with that because it's just not fair. Cause you need it to finish the degree. In SA you needed 12 weeks to finish the degree and unpa- most people were doing it unpaid. So you'd have to give up your job to do this work experience. But that's a story for another time. And while I was doing that, a friend messaged me saying she couldn't find work experience because it is quite hard to find. And so I went on the university's page where they were like advertising work experience opportunities and I found one that was paid. Um, and I said to her, you should apply for this. And I sent it to her and I was like, you need to apply for this. And then she looked at the times and she had to do summer school to catch up on one of the subjects. She was like, no, nah, I can't do it. And I was like, well, you know what, I might as well apply for it. So I applied for this job and I got it and it was a paid undergraduate placement and it was really cool like to be able to get on site essentially before I had started my last year of the degree and actually see how things worked and I remember it really improved my grades as well being able to put that theory into practice like especially um, in like geotechnical engineering I did like advanced geotechnical engineering and learning like how you build a road up but then being on site and actually building a road like it really all came together for me and I could sort of visualize what I was seeing in these textbooks so it was a really good introduction to the industry um, from that perspective but at the same time construction you probably already know this but construction a construction site is not the easiest place to be as a young female. I didn't have a toilet. I was on one site where it was just porta loos and I remember being like I'm not using porta loos. Like it was a 6 month job and I was like this is not going to happen. And I remember the operations manager for the state saying to me if you can find a toilet block because they were so hard to source at that time, you can have it. And I just remember spending a whole day ringing every hiring company trying to find a toilet block. And I found one and got it. And it was so one of those ones that was like raised with stairs and had like a tank, like a septic tank, whatever. I didn't care. It was not a -a portal. And then there was like a female side, which obviously was only for me. And then there was a male side. Um, And then the next hurdle was, I was like, I need a sanitary bin. And they were like, why do you need that? They were like, why do you need that for? This is me having conversations with like 40 year old men being like, I need a sanitary bin. And like trying to organize that, and they were like, "Who's going to empty the sanitary bin?" And I said, "I'll empty it. I just don't. I just need it. Like I need it in there. I like what?"
1: Yeah, I can completely relate because um, when I was doing placement up in Western Australia, um, site work was in the Pilbara mines, and um one of the things we had to do was walk around catchments so um a big pep talk we got before going is that yeah you know if you're gonna have to use the bathroom you're just gonna have to go bush pee and i was sitting there traumatized being like what the hell and um probably like praying to the man bar, please don't ever let me have to do that because i that is one of the last things i would ever ever want to do but the only um advice i guess uh got received from like even the women in the office was like oh yeah just remember to take a big roll of toilet paper with you because haha oh, you're not gonna get any you know out there and i was like hell no i am not going to want to do that i will not even pick this up because oh my god i'm not gonna want to use a toilet outside oh good god
2: So it's funny, but it's not funny because I went to this International Women's Day breakfast in Adelaide a few weeks ago. It was at um, the governor's house, and I was shocked to even be there. And um, the keynote speaker, Annabelle Crabb, she was amazing. And part of her speech was about toilets and females through history and like not having a toilet because men always felt like we didn't belong there. So why would we? have a fit. Why would there be a female toilet? Cause you know, we didn't belong. And then when they did questions, um, any person that any female that asked a question started the question with their own toilet story. And like, it was funny, but it was sickening at the same time to hear women across every industry. And these women were a fair bit older than us, but basically talk about like how they paved the way into their various industries and how every single one of them had no toilets when they started. But I think the missing link for STEM and engineering in particular is it's 2022 and we still don't have toilets. Like, so these stories were from like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, but like, you know, in this male dominated field that is engineering, we're still fighting these battles. You have to put in this work so that one day if my daughter or my granddaughter wants to do this, they have a bloody toilet. Like. It's a hard thing to carry, I think, for us.
0: Yeah, it is definitely a big thing to carry. Um, But I think what really helps us to push forward is to have that positive mindset and try to see it as if we go through this, like other women in the past did, um, the legacy that we leave is so much better for future generations. And that's literally the whole objective of this podcast in itself is to provide like a communication channel for all the women that go through these unpleasant stories to talk about it to inform people that is still happening that happens every day and just to create awareness because not everyone knows about this as there is not like a platform for them to sort of like go and share these stories so thank you so much for sharing that Let's move into something more fun, uh, like your career trajectory. What have you been doing and how did you start? And where are you at? Yeah,
2: well, I mean, so I started in construction. And I, as much as there were challenges, I liked working in construction. So I, when I was on that site, once I sorted my toilet situation, I had a really good site team. I had a foreman named Daz who was like a father to me. So he had three daughters and his youngest, I believe we were very similar in age. And he took me under his wing and I would feel like that we would help each other. So I would say I was like probably more tech savvy, whereas he knew everything there was to know about construction. So I would like help him with things on the computer and he would literally teach me how to set up like a surveying stick and like do a survey, like things that I never would have thought I would learn and I never learned at uni that he was able to teach me on site or when we would inspect pipes together or when we started doing proof rolls, and he taught me how to do it and what to look for. He was amazing. The whole site team was amazing. And I didn't really want to leave that role, but I was having issues with someone in a suit position who was incredibly sexually inappropriate. And I recently made a post about this on LinkedIn and it got a lot of traction, um, hundreds of messages from other girls experiencing the exact same thing in our industry, which just makes you feel sick. And so that was the reason why I left that job. I just couldn't handle it anymore. And, um, that foreman actually helped me in my interview with Oricon, he was my reference because, you know, it's really hard to leave a role if you don't have a reference because they kind of think like, why are you leaving? And I was only six months into the grad role and I remember people asking me and I would just be like, oh, I can't handle the hours, like things like that, because I wasn't ready to tell the truth. And I also didn't know if anyone would believe me and I didn't know if it would mean that I would be cancelled that I didn't have the following that I have on LinkedIn now. I didn't have the profile. I didn't have anything. And I just didn't know if anyone would support me. So I went to Oricon um, and that was amazing. I really liked working at Oricon. Even when I was at uni, you know, if you had told me, where do you want to work? I would have said Oricon or Arab, like hundred percent. That's what I would have said, but I didn't think I had the grades to to get in. So like bottom line, I never applied for them because I just didn't think I had the grades. Went to work at Oricon and that was really cool. And through that role, I sort of went on a secondment to, um, the government and I was managing sites for them. And it was 21 sites. And the role that I played in that was, I was like the lead site engineer. I was like assistant contract manager, assistant project manager. I was working crazy hours. I was on night shift. I was doing crazy things. I didn't have a bathroom on night shift. I had to drive home to use my bathroom to come back to site 20 minute drive each way. It was not a good time. Had really interesting things happen to me on night shift as well. was the only female on site, but there's not enough time in the day to talk about it. But it was still great. I still had a great time, really liked it. Um, but I sort of, oh, I must have done a good job because then they basically, as in the government, asked me to come over as a contractor. And that was my introduction to contracting. So at that point, I had sort of done construction. Then I had done design. And then like a superintendent role through a secondment, so to speak. And then into contracting where I was contracted in as a project manager. And like, I was one of the youngest ones there. So I was like 23 years old and I was a project manager. And that was like my 10 year professional goal. And to achieve that so fast, just because I took initiative, was mind blowing for me. Really liked that role. Did that all of 2020. And then obviously moved to Melbourne for love. And wanted to do a very similar role in Melbourne. And so I was put in touch with TSA management and they essentially do the exact same thing. And then within a week of starting with them, Arab needed some help. So they seconded me to Arup. And so that's sort of how I ended up where I am today. Like it definitely started off a bit rocky, but I would do it again to get to where I am. Like as bad as that first year or so was, I would do it again any day to get to where I am now
1: so a lot of times these days you hear that um to get like the numbers of women up in stem there is a big initiative to hire a higher percentage of um women than men or at least 50 50 uh just to get like you know women more women through the door so i think um what calls into question in a lot of people's mind is that are we really following merit-based hiring processes And so I really um, just wanted to know, what are your thoughts when you hear that question being raised and how do you react to statements like that?
2: So the amount of times I have been told that I am only where I am because of the way that I look uh, and my gender. If you saw how hard I had to work, if you saw me on night shift without a bathroom, being told, just pop a squat, literally, having to drive home 20 minutes to use a bathroom because I didn't feel comfortable in the dark. All the things that have happened to me to get to where I am. Who cares if there was a percentage quota to get me in the door? It was to prevent unconscious bias because nine times out of 10, the recruiting panel is all male because that's the only people that are in the industry. So it's to prevent unconscious bias. That's why it's there. I think in the beginning, and I would say a lot of women feel like this. I was funny about quotas because I was like, I don't want to be told I don't deserve to be here. But then the more I learned about them, the more I read about them, like it's needed because there is such a bias that nobody wants to recognize. So the reason, part of the reason why I posted what happened to me in the early days in construction is because there was this quote that someone posted on Twitter and basically she said, um, well what did she say? She said, you know, there's no point encouraging girls to pursue careers in STEM if we don't fix the underlying like sexual harassment, sexual assault, misogynistic behavior that happens in STEM. Like we're doing these girls a disfavor essentially by promoting them to come in knowing what's already in the industry. And in response, she got like attacked on Twitter by people saying that they'd never seen it. They'd never experienced it. It was all men. Thank you for telling me that what I have lived doesn't matter because you've never seen it. And like the reason you haven't seen it is because it doesn't happen in the middle of the office. That's not where it happens. I used to get text messages from my boss at 10.30 at night. He was married with three kids. I'd get text messages at 10.30 at night on my personal phone. It doesn't happen in plain sight. It happens behind closed doors because they know it's wrong. I think we need them because there's still issues. Like I spoke on a panel with two CEOs for Engineers Australia, International Women in Engineering Day in 2020. In my speech, I said about the 300 boys versus 30 girls in my first year maths class. And then it went to the next CEO, uh, Benita Husband, CEO Pitt and Sherry, amazing lady. I would consider her a mentor as well. She then said that it was a similar percentage split when she did engineering like 15 years ago. And then it went to Todd Bately, who at the time was the CEO of ACOM. I think he's moved into another role with them now, like different type of global role also legend he said the same thing that the percentage the percentage split was the same when he did it like 20 years ago so why from 20 years ago to now is it the same like what what's going on but that's what i mean so there's all these percentages out there saying oh there's more women in standard. yeah cool I don't see the change. Like, I literally cannot see the change in this classroom that I was sitting in. So I think we do need the quotas. I think we do need the targets because it's not changing. And the hardest thing is as well is once we get in, we leave because we're treated so badly that we leave. So yeah, maybe you're bringing more girls in, but then like you got to work on retention. And people have still said it to me. They're like, oh, you've left jobs after only a year. Someone, a man said it to me like in 2020, he said it to me he was like, it doesn't look really good that you leave a job after 12 months. And I said, why? I said, what's it to you? You don't know what's going on in someone's life. You don't know what's happening in that position. Don't judge someone straight away just because they left a role after a certain amount of time. Like where did this rule come from that you have to stay at an organization if you're unhappy? It's kind of a very old set mentality. And it goes back to what I was saying about like my culture a little bit. Um, to diverge a little bit that it's like in the Italian culture, so to speak, like divorce is like frowned upon, right? Because they're like, even if you're unhappy as a woman, you need to stay. Cause it's about like your reputation and what will people think? I don't really care what people think. Like, I know that I was in a bad situation and I knew that it was going to get worse. And I made the choice that was the best choice for me. And that was to leave six months into a grad role. and you can say whatever you want about me, but I know my ability. I know what I bring to a project. I know what I bring to a team and I know that it was a loss for them and I'm happy where I am. The only thing I regret is not formally reporting it. That's my biggest regret because he then was reported by other girls that I found out about later. And I wish I had reported it because then I wish they had had that support behind them as well. But that's the only regret I have. I don't regret leaving.
0: I think it's completely understandable why you didn't report it. I think when you go through these type of situations you can think that by reporting it you can come across as a troublemaker but I believe that if you report it is just generally the right thing to do because with this complaint you're not stating that people should get rid of the people misbehaving they should just educate them so they understand what they are doing wrong. I feel like getting rid of the individual would be like a band-aid solution because the behavior will be repeated in different companies. I think what is important is to educate them, let them know why their behavior is inappropriate and teach them a lesson. But if that complaint is never made, then no one is going to know and this behavior is going to be normalized yeah which I'm i sure, do
1: understand oh, oh if i can like interject um it's like i'm sure you like as you said you're quite aware that that would have been something you would do now with all the you know they say hindsight is twenty twenty with all the information you have now you would repeat the same uh thing but you would report it but i mean six months into your um journey as an engineer like it's so daunting having to report a freaking senior um, for something like this where it could end up in a he said she said sort of situation and where's the credibility in your words so like that's pretty scary stuff that's all i want to say because it's fucking scary
2: and it happens so much so just on that after i made that post on linkedin the amount of girls that messaged me saying something similar has happened to them they reported and the outcome was they left the job that's like what happened in most of the stories one girl even said like she left the industry she said she studied for four years to do an engineering degree to be in the industry for a year and a half and then left like because she wasn't heard when she reported it and then and i've I've heard so many stories of when you report it they then turn on you and That's why I never reported it. And I waited, I waited a very long time to share that story publicly. Don't get me wrong, people knew. I told people when it was happening, there was people within the organization who knew what was happening. I print screened things, I kept records, I was on top of it just in case something worse happened. It wasn't until I realized that like another female grad had started there and she kept looking at my LinkedIn page. And I really, felt sick in my stomach thinking why is she looking at my page like where is this coming from and I just thought I'm gonna share this story I'm gonna be very careful like I got like an app and I deleted the um the logo from the top that I was wearing because the po- the photo I posted the Polaroid was like my first day on site and so it had the logo and I was so scared that again I would get in trouble for telling the truth so I like got rid of the logo took all reference out to who it was Although like a few people obviously knew who know who it is. Um, but yeah, and the craziest thing as well. So last week I was volunteering at this place called Fair Share with my current company. And we were just sitting at one part doing the labeling for these meal packs that we had made for charities. And one of the girls who was a regular volunteer there, she was sitting opposite me we just started talking. She'd been having a really hard time. She's a bit older than us, but a hard time recently in the industry. And she said something. I said something. And then she was like, wait, sorry, where did you start working? And I told her where it was. Um, and she said something. And I said, oh, yeah, I experienced this from such and such. And so I left. And she was like, yeah, I've heard that about him before. And she's from a different state. And I didn't know this girl from a borough, so I couldn't even tell you her name right now like honestly i couldn't tell you her name i didn't know her but she knew exactly who i was talking about and had heard it about him before and he still works for the organization
0: how how is that they keep those roles and how is that they don't pay for what they've done i think that's so unfair
1: So one thing we've been really curious to ask you about is we know you've been a part of Miss Universe and we talked about that as well before, which is like super cool. You're like changing the face of engineering and people's perception about it. So, so cool. Uh, But speaking of perception in the workplace sense, you having been a part of this, um, have you noticed any difference in judgment or perception about your competency as an engineer? Like, you know, she's just a part of a pageant. What is she even doing here as an engineer?
2: Yeah, so when I first decided that I wanted to do Miss Universe, a lot of people that I worked with were like, why? And it took a lot of, I felt like I had to convince people while, why I was doing it. But at the end of the day, it was none of their business. But again, I feel like women are sort of put into a box and it's like, you're in this box and this box is smart. So all you can be is smart. That is what you are. And it comes to the title of your podcast, you don't look like an engineer, that I always felt like as well, people would always say to me, oh, what do you do for work? And I'll say, I'm an engineer. And they say, you don't look like an engineer. And I'd always say, what do you mean? Wait, well, let me put on my
1: glasses.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so I I was always really self-conscious of my glasses. I didn't like wearing my glasses. And I used to wear contacts when I would go out. And then I even got laser eye surgery. Like I got a piece of my eye, each eye cut off so that I didn't have to wear glasses because I was so self-conscious of wearing glasses. And I genuinely think it's because when I was younger, I was picked on because of my glasses. And it's like, oh, you're a nerd and all that sort of thing. So with Miss Universe, I guess the reason why I wanted to do it is because I felt like I wanted to, I wanted the platform. Like I knew that the platform could really help me in what I was trying to do. And I wasn't wrong. So um, when I decided that I was doing it, the newspaper in South Australia, the advertiser, they did a whole article about me. And I'm not joking. It was the like as soon as you opened it, the page right there. So like page two or three, and it was a whole page article and it was titled engineering has universal appeal. And like, you can still find the article and it's to me, it's exactly why I wanted to do the competition because it's, I wanted to show younger girls that you can be as many things as you want to be. Don't get me wrong. There are things that I don't necessarily agree with. So like through the competition, there's like certain sponsors um, and you have to promote their products. And there was a few products that I didn't feel comfortable promoting. So I just didn't promote them because it was my choice. So there was um, like a meal supplement sponsor, uh, essentially like a shake in place of a meal. I had an eating disorder when I was in high school, a really bad one. So there was no way I was gonna get on social media and promote having a milkshake instead of eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So there was things like that that I just straight out didn't agree with and I straight out wouldn't have done. And did that hinder my position in the competition? I don't know, but I was never going to change who I was just to win a title. And that's not why I was there. I was there for the platform and I felt like I got the platform, especially because of that article, because then I had a lot of schools and stuff reach out to me about that article and ask me if I would come and speak at their school. So it did what it needed to do for me, um, but there was definitely judgment felt, but it is what it is, like you got to do what you want to do.
0: Good on you for actually staying true to yourself even during the contest, um, but even with your involvement on LinkedIn, like you post regularly, you put selfies on, like about yourself, you share how much you love makeup, fashion and other things that are not engineering related. Um, Do you think you get some judgment from people and do you think people think that because you like, as you said before, like, because they put you in that box of being pretty, do you think they tend to think that you're like less competent in doing your job?
2: I don't think so. I think I've been very lucky because I think people can see what I'm trying to do like I think they understand why I post what I do and how I go about it and the perception that I'm trying to change so you know earlier you mentioned that I'm an ambassador for Google and that role actually happened when I was like during university in second year uni I went to India on a humanitarian design summit with Engineers Without Borders Australia had the best time. It was incredible. And while I was there, there was one particular night where we were doing a village stay and everybody was going to milk the cows and somebody needed to stay back with the kids. So I decided that I would stay back with the kids because I really like kids. And obviously we couldn't speak the same language, but animals sound the same no matter where you are. So I sort of came up with this animal noise game that we were all playing. What I didn't realize is that one of the directors from engineers, Without Borders Australia watched what was happening and when we got back to Australia they offered me a role and the role was basically Google had come to them with this lump sum of money and said this is the local Google local love grant we want to give it to you to do whatever you want with it and they came up with this STEM ambassador position and they had like one they had five so one for South Australia one for um, Queensland one for WA one for Victoria and one for um, New South Wales. So I was representing South Australia, but I was also kind of with Northern Territory as well because there was no one allocated there. So part of that role, that role went for a year, was they sent me to schools around South Australia and the Northern Territory to talk to kids about engineering, to talk to them about STEM Um, and through that role, something that came up a lot was when I asked, do you like maths and science? That was one of the questions that I'd ask. And a lot of the girls would say, it's not cool to like maths and science, but I never got that response from the the boys, but it always came from the girls. It's not cool. It's not cool to like maths and science. It's not popular. And you think about it, right? I love using this example because it hits the nail on the head. The show modern family. There's two sisters in the show. There's um, Hayley, who's the older sister, who is seen as like popularity princess. Um, she's got heaps of friends. She lives this great life. And then the younger sister, Alex, who's really into school, they like describe her as a nerd. Um, they She's like socially awkward. They say she doesn't have friends. There's an episode where she gets a boyfriend and everyone's like, how could you have a boyfriend? And it's that idea that, you know, you can't be both as a woman It's like, you know, you can just be smart. That's the only thing you're allowed to have. Whereas as a guy in a lot of shows, the guy can be everything. And so from a really young age, we're sort of told, you know, pick which one you want to be because you can't be both. And my thing is, well, why can't I be both? That's not just engineering. That's like being able to do a wicked winged eyeliner. Like I want to be good at lots of different things. And so I feel like circling back to the question, people are seeing what I'm doing and I've been banging on about it for like, I don't know, six years now, maybe even more that they're like, we understand what I'm trying to do. And they know that when I post the photos that I post, like I posted one with like big balloons for my birthday. And I said, like I cut my hair off and I was like, I got a boss haircut now. And so it's not taken as, oh she can't be smart because she's got a nice haircut. It's like, well, she can be everything because she, she wants to be everything. Let her be everything. And so I, I think that's, You know, like I didn't get a toilet, I had a sexually inappropriate boss, but I'm allowed to post what I want and no one's giving me any grief for it so far. So that's my win.
0: Wow, hearing you speak, honestly, it looks like you've gained so much confidence from everything you've been through. And it's amazing because sometimes people think that confidence just appears um, in the middle of the night and yeah, you wake up with it. (laughs) But I want to know, Someone so driven and so dedicated and you definitely know what you want. You you can tell from hearing you speak. Where does this inspiration come from? Like who do you look up to the most?
2: I think a lot of it stems from my mum and also my upbringing. So I would, like I'm not going to stand here and say that I grew up without or anything like that. Um, but my dad was involved in a pretty serious car crash when I was four years old. Um, And from that point onward, my family of five became a single income family because he had really bad injuries and he couldn't work anymore. And so like the weight of like my whole family fell on my mum, And so I saw a woman, I guess her whole life, work as hard as she could to get us to where we are today. So like, I don't ever remember my mum working less than two jobs. Like my whole life, I've always seen my mum work minimum two to three jobs. So like multitasking is something I've always seen. And she was really big on education. So she didn't get a chance to go to university. She left high school when she was in year 11. So she never finished high school and she didn't go to university and she's worked really hard her whole life. And she always says that, you know, university isn't the key to success or anything like that, but to have the degree or the education or the piece of paper behind you, it just gives you a step up in life and it opens doors that were never opened for her. So she was really passionate about that for me, my sister and my brother, and she made a lot of sacrifices. And I also grew up, I guess, without like not without in the sense that like I didn't have a house or anything like that, but I was at a private school because my mum wanted us to be at a particular school from an education perspective. We couldn't afford to be there, but she wanted us to be there. So, you know, she would go without so we could be there. And then we couldn't really keep up with the other kids because we didn't have the financial, like, you know, she we were on scholarships and stuff to be there. She was on like financial aid, all that sort of thing. And so I always sort of saw what other kids were getting and I never got it. And so I was a bit like, well, and I was talking to my sister about this actually. Um, Yes, not yesterday, the day before, I was saying to my sister, do you ever think like how far we've come? Because my sister is so successful as well. And I would say we're now both in like like, education wise, did really well, job wise doing really well, financially doing really well. Like we've both done so well from sort of what we started with and it's all because of my mum. Like my mum just gave up so much. But I guess my whole thing is like, imagine she's given up all of that and then I was just I'll just throw it away. Like when I was in uni and I'd failed those two subjects and I just had enough, I remember thinking like everything my mum's done will be for nothing if I give up now. And so I think that's always been ingrained in me that not and she was never she had never ever said to us, like, I sacrificed for you. My mum has never ever said that. But like the feeling of going to like awards and bringing my mum, like I was nominated for the woman of the year in South Australia. And I was like, what is this? Like when I got it, I was like, no, I was like, sorry, did you like get this wrong? And like, it was incredible. Like being there was incredible. And the lady who won Helen, we got our makeup done together before. Um, It was so nice. Um, The lady at Mecca did a great job on both of us. But anyways, um, like to bring my mum to that, and know that my mum was the reason that I was there. And like last year I won um, a distinguished alumni award from the uni, which is an award that they give to people who are like doctors and have been like practicing for like 60 years. And like when I won it, my whole speech was about my mum. And I was a bit worried at first, cause I was like, oh, I don't want to offend my dad. Like I love my dad, but like, I mean, like circumstances didn't play in his favor and he did the best that he could but my mum had to hold a whole family up after my dad's crash and also look after him. And so I think she's my motivation like to stand on that podium. And I got really emotional and just tell the story of like how we got here and then it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for her. That's probably my biggest motivation. Like I would love to just keep going to the top and be able to take my mum with me. Like I always say like when I build my house, I'm gonna build my mum's house next door. So that she's
0: always there. So yeah, it's my mom. I think. Oh, oh my God! You just made me miss my mom so much. It's so nice to hear that you admire her, and I'm sure that she also admires you, and she feels very proud to to have such a daughter. Um, now, something that you have been working on as a an extracurricular activity has been you stem at home like your youtube channel i remember how difficult it was to balance editing videos and just studying and doing my thing back in the day when i had a youtube channel um but i just want to know how do you balance working full time being involved in all of those things that you are and stem at home and where did the inspiration come from
2: it takes so much time. I really don't think anyone realized it. Like someone was critiquing one of my videos and I was like, sorry, do you edit videos? And they were like, no, I've never edited one. I was like, then I don't want to hear it because you don't understand. Like you have no idea what it takes to edit a video. But STEM at home itself started in March, 2020. And it was the first lockdown that all of Australia went into when COVID first sort of appeared and I have a lot of cousins who have kids and some of them messaged me and just said you know it's really hard to because and I think there was a lot of stats on this that the women working from home were also having to be not in all cases but in most cases they were also having to be like the main caregiver the cook the teacher they were taking on all these different roles and my cousins were messaging me saying like we're really struggling. Do you know of any activities that you could think of that we could use to help entertain our kids? And I knew how to make a lava lamp because for two reasons, right? First reason is Mr. Branson, year 11 chemistry, taught me how to make it. Legend, love him, best teacher I've ever had. Next reason, when they offered me the role of Google STEM ambassador, I actually had to like interview for it. So they kind of rang me and were like, oh, we want you, but we need an interview. And I was like, okay. Um, and in the interview, they said to me, because it's going to be working with kids, we need you to demonstrate some sort of activity. And I was like, oh, I know how to make a lava lamp. So like, it's, it's really helped me many times in my life. Cannot explain how good it is to know how to make a lava lamp. And so I, I was like, "Oh, I know how to make a lava lamp. I can record that and just send it to you. And then they can watch it and it'll take some time out of your day and they can keep doing it because you just keep adding the tablet and you can just keep playing with it and it kind of just keeps them distracted for a whole day. You just need a fair few of their tablets. Um, and so I filmed it. I showed my mum, and my mum was like, this is really good. You should put it on YouTube. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. And I would say my confidence was not where it was before I put it on YouTube as it is today. Um, put it up and it had a really good reaction, particularly on like Instagram and also on LinkedIn. My biggest thing has been diversity and like it took me so long. I had that idea in like May 2020 and it took me so long to get videos out because I couldn't find a diverse cast because I just didn't realise how white my network was and that's probably just my own privilege. So trying to like connect with people on social media and change that cast I just didn't want to just showcase all white people and it really got me I did a post about this as well on International Women's Day I just saw so many all white panels and I just thought are you joking like wh- what are you showcasing and who are you trying to be role models for because like you know the, my favorite thing about the series and it's not just about men or sorry it's not just about women I've got like men of color in the series as well Like if you're a five-year-old and you see someone that looks like you, then you think you can do that too. And that's like a big thing. Whereas like I would say like I'm quite fair-skinned. And so like, you know, yes, kids are looking at me in the activity series and being like, oh, she's an engineer. We can be an engineer. But, you know, like a child of color who's got darker skin than me, maybe they can't relate to me. Whereas like in the STEM at home, what do you do series? There's so many different, amazing women of color in that series. So the one that comes to mind straight away is Naya and um, she works for NASA and she is so cool. She is just the coolest person ever. And like her video is really, I think, inspiring. Um, and then like from a male perspective, I've got a guy called Maynard, who's the hip hop scientist. You got to look up his Instagram and like. Obviously, I don't look like Maynard, but I feel like as a five-year-old, if I saw Maynard, I'd be like, I want to be Maynard, like straight away. And so for someone who actually looks like him as a child, I feel like that speaks, like that would just change their whole perspective. Like you can't be what you can't see doesn't just mean show me an engineer. It means show me an engineer that looks like me because we see engineers all the time. They're white men. And that's why there's no women in it like you're not going to get diversity if that's the role models that you're only showcasing
1: so you've had a, a lot of experiences you know like how you mentioned your um, experience with google and the engineers australia stuff and even stem at home uh we were just really curious is there any one um experience or event or something that just stuck out to you so much like it's just so memorable
2: oh that is such a good question So for that award that I won last year, um, they came to my house literally the week after we got out of lockdown to film a video that goes sort of with the ceremony. And I remember they had like a series of questions they had to ask me. And I remember going to dinner that night after with my boyfriend and being like, I'm actually really proud of myself. And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, it's kind of like the first time I've ever sat and reflected on everything and everything that I've achieved. Um because I guess you never really I don't know like tall poppy syndrome and stuff in Australia in particular, like you always uh I always think I'm not good enough. Like anytime I get nominated for an award, my initial thought is like they've made a mistake. And I saw another girl post about this recently, the CEO of Keep It Cleaner, that she was nominated for 30 under 30 and her initial thought was they've made a mistake. Oh, I think I'm really proud of the series. I think the even just the activities, like there was just five of them and I'll let you in on a top secret, it might be coming back very, very soon. When I released that series, like seeing how many young parents messaged me with videos of their kids recreating the, the activities, it's like a movement. So I think that's been like, a really proud thing for me um, from like an achievements perspective. And then on the other side, being so raw and open on LinkedIn, I think has resonated really well with a lot of girls and like students. I get messages all the time. And a girl messaged me the other day saying that um, she was going for an interview at Oricon and if I had any tips. And so I told her a few things like about Limelight and stuff that I know that are like buzzwords for them in an interview and that she should talk about. And so like getting messages like that, being like, I've followed you for a while. Um, You've inspired me to keep pursuing this degree. Um, And then when I, so I've got two mentees. Uh, One is in like data science and data analysis. And I don't know why she picked me because she's so much smarter than me. Um, She's amazing. And then another one I recently um, connected with, her dad messaged me. Her dad messaged me on LinkedIn and basically said he's an engineer as well and was like, "Oh, my daughter's doing the same degree that you did and she's looking for a mentor. Would you be interested in like catching up with her?" And I was in Adelaide at the time and I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And so like going to catch up with her and just being able to give her the advice that I wish someone gave me. Like that's a really nice feeling, I think, because like we sort of said it earlier like it's really shit to go through these things, but if you know that because you went through it and you learned from it and you were able to give someone else advice so it doesn't happen to them, that's a really nice feeling.
0: Wow, I want to keep asking so many questions, but I'm just mindful of time because we've been recording for a bit now and I... I think we should wrap it up (laughs) pretty soon. Also, poor listeners. (laughs) And just on that note of mentoring and mentorship programs, uh, amazing that you're a mentor, by the way. But I want to know, who was your mentor? Like, were you ever a mentee? Um, Did you have like a formal or do you currently have a formal mentor?
2: Yeah, so... I guess like you, you've always had mentors like your whole life. You just probably didn't know they were your mentor. Like I could say my earliest mentor would probably be my sister. But then I was a little bit funny about the term mentor. I thought it was a buzzword. And I remember like er, very early in my career, I was like, I don't need a mentor. Like I know what I'm doing. I don't need anybody. And when I was at Oricon, they had this like mentor program where they allocated you a mentor. It wasn't a choice. And I remember hating these catch ups. I was like, I don't want this mentor. Uh, it was a guy. And it turns out like when I think back to what he said, he was actually really good. He was really switched on. I was just not open to it. And then I, <laughs> I started dating this guy who was like obsessed with mentors he was like a PhD student at the uni. And like, I remember we went for coffee once and he was like, I've got like 10 mentors. I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, you know, me doors is open. You know, me things I get to go to, like all these things. I was like, wow, I need a mentor. So then I started like getting a few mentors. Um, And I would say like a key one for me, her name is Susanna Ferrero and she is sick. She is the executive director of the North South Corridor, which is like the biggest project in South Australia's history. And it's going to be going for like, I don't know, 10 years. And I heard her speak at an event And after I heard her speak, I turned to my boss at the time and I said, because I was contracting and he was like managing me, I said, contract me to her. I want to work for her. And he was like to me, no, we can't. Like our loyalties to the team that you're in. I said, I don't care about my loyalty. I want to work for her. She's a gun. And He was like, no, we can't. You've got a contract. You have to stay in your team. So I was like, well, I'm just going to message her on LinkedIn. So I messaged her on LinkedIn and I was just like literally executive director I was like nobody and I just messaged her after I heard her speak at this briefing where she spoke to like 2000 people. Just messaged her I was like hi I heard you speak today I thought you were epic I'd love to buy you a coffee. And she responded in like 10 minutes. She was like yep check my calendar because obviously we both worked for the government so I could see her calendar. She was like check my calendar. I was like Oh, the first time I met her, she rocked up in this red coat matching with a red lip. I was like, we are going to be friends. So my advice to anyone listening is get a mentor. I really regret waiting so long to get a mentor and you get so many free coffees.
1: Oh my God, love that about the free coffees. Um, but one of the things we like to do at the end, and we're hoping to make it a thing, but you're really the first person we're trying it on, is we like to play a little game uh, <laughs> towards the end. And it's just a few little fun questions uh, to keep it a bit light towards the end and you know, have a little bit of fun for the listeners and get to know a few high level interests of yours. So if you're down, let's do
2: it. I love a game.
1: Okay, so first one is, what are your hobbies outside of work?
2: Pilates, and I've just started Body Fit, which, yeah, wow.
1: Oh my God, Body Fit is so cool. Um, yeah, I have a sister who goes there and she absolutely loves it. Okay, and next one is, did you like being on site or in the office?
2: On site, but the office is definitely cleaner.
0: Oh my God, yes, I agree with that. Um, the next one is, what's your favorite food?
2: Cookies and cream McFlurry from Macca's. You put, you put fries in it? I had one yesterday. So you get like a large fries, get an Oreo McFlurry, and then put the fries in the Oreo McFlurry. I've changed so many people's lives.
1: Oh, my God, that sounds so criminal, but I kind of want to try it. So what's your favorite thing that you're listening to at this moment?
2: Oh, I love the She's on the Money podcast. She's changed my approach to savings. She is a gun. I love her, and she does seminars for my work. They always bring her in.
1: That is so cool. Okay, and on the theme of makeup, because the three of us sitting here, we all love some excellent makeup. What is your favorite piece or brand of makeup?
2: I like liquid eyeliner, which most people think is the devil. But I would say, because I know how to draw, I'm very good at like a strong winged eyeliner.
0: And the last question, which is not as light as the ones we just asked, um, but very important nonetheless what's the best piece of advice that you could give or that you have been given
2: i think there's two like best pieces of advice and they're like sayings so to speak so the first one is you catch more bees with honey i think that's the saying and like it's a bit cliche but i have felt like i'm a little bit hot-headed sometimes and like as I've gotten more into my career, I've gotten better at like taming that. And like, if something doesn't go my way, instead of like reacting, I try to understand why that's happened and approach it in like a nice way. Cause I genuinely feel like people are more receptive. And at the end of the day, there is a person behind an email, behind a text message, behind a phone call and I've been on the receiving end of really nasty emails, like emails in all capitals, like stuff like that, that it's just like you catch more bees with honey. So that's like one of my first ones. Um, and then another thing, you're never too old to do anything. Like obviously I'm only 26 and I feel like when I turn 50, I'm going to say I'm only 50. Cause that's like the mindset that I'm bringing into things. Whereas growing up and like, social circle I hung around with, my culture, it was very much like, you know, you go to high school, you finish high school, you go to uni, you finish uni, you get married, you make babies and that's your timeline. And, you know, if you had asked me when I was 15 where I would be at 26, I would be married with three kids. That's what my timeline would have been based on sort of what I grew up with. But I think now that I am 26, I'm a little bit like, well, no, that doesn't have to be my path just because, Other people think that's the path that a woman should take. That doesn't necessarily have to be my path. And I can do things when I'm ready because I'm always going to have time to do things. And at the end of the day, I'm only 26.
0: Beautiful. And definitely, as I've said, the confidence that comes with age. You inspire women. Thank you so much for coming today. It has been an absolute
1: pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for just coming and spending some time talking about your background, your trajectory, your dreams and aspirations and all the amazing things that you've been up to.
0: Yeah, we really admire you and I'm sure our listeners will too. No,
2: thank you. And thank you for showing us what engineers actually look like.